From the West Australian, it's Friday the 8th of December. I'm Ben O'Shea and this is The West Live. The West Live. The West Live with Ben O'Shea. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. That's Elijah Wood as Frodo Baggins in the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings trilogy. Well, the American actor is in the spotlight again for his latest role for all the wrong reasons. Elijah Wood has appeared in a video offering support to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to recover from a fictitious drug addiction. In the video, Wood says, I hope you get the help you need. Lots of love, Vladimir. Take care. Now, why would Frodo do a video that is trying to ruin the reputation of Zelensky? Well, he didn't know he was. Elijah Wood and a bunch of other US celebrities were duped by Russian hackers into recording videos on the Cameo platform. Now, for those who came in late, you can use Cameo to pay celebs to record little messages for your mates. The Cameo videos of these American celebs were then modified by the hackers to include emojis and logos of media outlets and were then circulated on social media, sometimes through Russian government owned or backed media outlets. So it looked like all these famous people were urging Zelensky to get help for substance abuse. Cameo says the use of its videos in Russian propaganda would be a violation of its community guidelines, but I'm not sure how they stop it happening again. But that's not the only dodgy Russian propaganda out there. A report by Wired magazine found that images of celebrities like Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian were being put side by side with anti-Ukraine quotes, making it appear as though they had said those things. That disinformation campaign reached at least 7.6 million people on Facebook alone. And it's another reminder that you really shouldn't believe everything you read online. Coming up on today's show, we unpack the US link to the tragic killing of two police officers in regional Queensland last year. And we'll help you decode your kids' school report card. But first, let's see what's making news. The West Live. Making news. And joining me now in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Happy Friday. We've made it. We have made it. <laughs> have we? I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell. It's, it's gone for so long. It's been one of those it's weeks, right? This week. Do you think it has yeah, been a week that has dragged on a little it's, bit? We're just getting closer and closer yeah. to Christmas, and there are so many things on, and it's just like, I want to get off the train. I know, right? You know? It's, and that's the thing. There's so many work events um, uh, that are coming up, and I'm sure everybody's in the same boat. You've got your, your work sort of Christmas parties. Yeah. You've got people who want to have last-minute meetings uh, or who want last-minute work Is this finished. just your life that you're yeah, going through? Yeah, this is my life. This is my life. <laughs> Uh, now, this story shocked everybody in Perth yesterday, a stabbing in a high school. Yeah, so a 15-year-old girl has allegedly stabbed a 16-year-old boy and then stabbed herself at Kareen Senior High mm. School. Lessons went into lockdown. Police swooped. These two teenagers have been in hospital overnight, the 16-year-old boy in Royal Perth Hospital and the 15-year-old girl in Perth Children's Hospital. We're told their injuries are not life-threatening. The 15-year-old girl has been charged and she is due to face Perth Children's Court this morning. So a really scary ordeal for students and teachers at Kareen Senior High School. Uh, we're told that it's a very complex situation. Mm. Obviously, um, the school authorities are working through it. Uh, police have been working through their investigation. 
not something you want to see anywhere, let alone in a school. Yeah, and thankfully it's not something we see very yeah. often. Um, and so when it does, it is extremely shocking. The parents uh, of the boy have spoken out overnight expressing their shock, just like everybody else. Yeah. You can imagine, right? And and you have to feel for the other kids in the class, like to witness something like that. Oh, awful. Yeah, yeah, traumatic really. Uh, and yeah. I no doubt those, uh, those kids will be getting support if they need it. Uh, now, in the resource sector, there have been shockwaves as well, uh, as there's a potential merger between two huge oil and gas companies to create a super company. Yes. Perth-based Woodside Energy is in talks with gas producer Santos. So if these two were to combine, the business would have a market capitalisation of more than $80 billion. Wow. So Woodside has told the Stock Exchange that discussions remain confidential and incomplete. Watch mm. this space. Mm. I wonder what that means. Because it's like a, a merger like that would probably, you know, sort of come across the desk of the regulatory authorities as well. Oh, definitely. Um, and it comes as so. Andrew Forrest has uh, spoken out against oil and gas overnight. So it's always interesting, right? Like as a as a mining magnate himself, um, but he draws the line at fossil fuels. <laughs> And so it's it's interesting. The argy-bargy between billionaires is always fascinating yeah. to me. But this one is certainly interesting. Um, I like as how Santos chief executive uh, Kevin Gallagher described it back in November at an investor day. He, he described Santos was cheap. It's a bargain. It's a bargain. Buy it. Well, this is the thing. Apparently, they've been trying to shop it round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they hear. Their share so, price has fallen as well. Mm. So one of those situations where you see in movies all the time, like a company that's, that's maybe not doing quite so well is like ripe for a takeover. Yeah. Uh, and then in comes, you know, Big Woodside. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Um, now, here's some news for you that's just broken. Uh, so over in the US, Congress could green light um, the selling of nuclear-powered submarines to Australia as early as next week week. Yeah. And so we've spoken about this. So the AUKUS deal has been on sort of rocky footing um, over the past couple of months, not because anybody necessarily thought it was a bad thing in America, um, but there has been this, you know, sort of, it became a political football between Republicans and yeah. Democrats and really just around passing their annual defence bill, which is worth 1.3 trillion Australian dollars. Yeah. So it's a huge amount of money. Um, and do you, know, do you know what the bizarre reality is for me? So when it comes to American politics, what I know of it basically comes from an episode of The Simpsons <laughs> where they go to Washington, D.C. and they do they do like this song that explains how the uh, the U.S. political system works, how yeah. they pass a bill. Um, and it's so you have so you have legislation that they're trying to push through the Congress and then through the Senate. Um, and you have various um, congressmen and senators tacking on their own amendments. Yeah. Um, and that can be completely unrelated to what the bill is about. Um, and so this has been the issue here, right? So in this huge defence spending bill, they all want to get bill, their name attached. They to all it. want to get yeah. their name attached to it. And so Republicans have been. Uh, firstly, they complained because they didn't think that if if America started selling nuclear powered submarines to Australia, they wouldn't have enough um, capacity to build their own nuclear submarines. Yeah. So they wanted to ensure that there'd be funding increases to the shipyards in America, which was all about you know the congressmen and senators who yeah, were in those up states. Those local areas. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, but then it got even more bizarre because then Republicans have tried to include an amendment um, relating to uh, the Pentagon's abortion and transgender policy to try and get rid of that. And so this whole thing, the AUKUS could have come undone because, because, of, that. because of a few Republicans who didn't think 
that transgender people should be allowed in the military. Like, how crazy is, is that system? Wow. Yeah. And so now it looks like that has been uh, pushed to one side, although a hard-right congresswoman, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, has said that it's still a hell no for her to pr- approve this bill. Um, but with it, they don't look like they need her support, and it'll move forward anyway. Um, and then we could be getting three nuclear submarines in the first instance, yep. um, and then we'll be able to you know, sort of access funding and a technology to start building our own um, AUKUS-class nuclear submarines in the future. So there you go. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Bizarre how these things happen yeah. in America. Nothing happens easy when it's so partisan over there. Um, but looks no, like the gun AUKUS, laws. Oh, yeah, no problem there. Yeah, no problem there. Um, and now we've heard this week that the Perth property market is going gangbusters, and it looks like it's going to have another uh, amazing year in 2024 in terms of growth, outstripping the rest of the nation. Uh, not so good news for rents because they're also going up. No, life is about to get even tougher if you are renting in Perth. Rental costs are expected to rise by as much as 9.5% next year. How is that even possible? I know. So the new finder analysis forecasts Perth will have the sharpest increase in rent in the nation. Uh, tenants, how's this, will need an average minimum income of just over $108,000 to afford a median priced rental in Perth. So you need to be earning just over $108,000 to afford the median rental. That's insane. Staggering, isn't it? It's insane. And I guess part of it is because people who own these properties that they're renting out, their mortgages have gone up because of interest rate hikes. But also they couldn't put up rents during COVID, remember? So I think there's a little bit of catch up going on. making up for it now. Yeah. Like from what I'm seeing, you know, like the the rents are now like they must be nearly the highest ever, right? Like are we at that point yeah, yeah, where yeah. we're talking about unprecedented, um, and another ten percent on unprecedented top of, times? Yeah. We haven't heard that for a while. <laughs> I know, right? Everything went back to being precedented. Yeah, well, <laughs> after COVID. Yeah, but it's it's really difficult for people who say, for example. Um, are renting a place and then their landlord wants to sell the place because, you know, property prices are going up. And then these people have nowhere to go to rent because it's not like there are available properties. It's a really difficult situation for people. Yeah. And and this was part of the problem at the last, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, mining boom as well, right? Mm. Like issues around finding accommodation um, really impacted the economy in lots of different ways. And so we're going to find that again. It's it's a, it's a fraught situation. It's a cycle, isn't it? It is a cycle. Uh, and Maddie, also a cycle, is getting you back <laughs> up for the Wild West at the end of the show. We'll speak to you then. See you then, mate. You're listening to The West Live. A man has been arrested in the United States over online comments that allegedly incited violence before the religiously motivated terrorist attack in regional Queensland, where two police officers and an innocent neighbour were slain. Here to take us through it is former terrorist investigator Peter Moroni. Peter, welcome to The West Live. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And so what do we know about this man that the FBI has arrested in Arizona, Donald Day Jr.? Look, at the moment, um, some information is slowly coming to light. What the, He's being charged, as we understand, in the US with uh, offences that relate to inciting violence, basically. What the police will allege and what the major connection they'll look for with respect to Australia is what, if any, impact or what, if any, uh, desires or motivations he had on the three to carry out what they undertook. If they can prove a sufficient connection between for example, what he was instructing, what he was espousing, and whether that had any impact to the motivating factors on the three in Australia, you may find that Australia will seek his extradition out here 
to face charges um, within this country, let alone uh, America. Mm. And so can you give us an idea how the Australian Federal Police would have worked with the FBI on this case? Yeah, sure. Look, it, it, it's it's a fantastic effort all around between the Queensland Police, the uh, Australian Federal Police, and the FBI. Look, for years, uh, the various agencies within this uh, within Australia, my apologies, and the Australian Federal Police have worked with counterparts such as the FBI in America and uh, like around around the world. We've worked together for a number of years. What what would have first been struck up is a mem- um, memorandum of understanding to probably clearly set out what is what is required. What are the legal uh, implications for those? What are the legal hurdles that all the jurisdictions will need to meet? And once that was settled, they would certainly then move swiftly into everyday investigation practices that they'd be doing uh, every day in their own country. Mm. And now the the perpetrators, the alleged perpetrators of this incident in Wiambilla in Queensland uh, talked about something called um, pre-millennialism, which is something that uh, Donald Day espoused as well. Can you give us an idea about what that exactly is and, and what the people who believe in that uh, think? Yeah, look, in very simple terms, it's around. It's about Jesus who will return to earth, so the second coming before the millennium, if you will. The a lot is coming to light about this organisation, and particularly who follows the organisation. Probably what makes it quite difficult to identify who they are, identify what they particularly believe in, is just the access to the internet and the ability for these people, like many other ideologies, is to operate undetected uh, on the internet. So certainly what the authorities would be doing, particularly the intelligence authorities at the moment, they would be working very closely with law enforcement. They would be wanting a a better and greater understanding about the network of the trains and who they were in connection with. And that will help them then move towards it. But just because the trains operated in this particular way doesn't mean, for example, if we had another two or three people following the same extremist Christian ideology, they may operate in a different way. So there's a lot of learnings on afoot uh, for Australian law enforcement, Australian intelligence communities, but I'm, I'm very comfortable they're up for that challenge. Mm. And when there's an incident like this uh, involving a particular ideology, does that sort of instantly put it on the radar of law enforcement and, and sort of raise the alert level, or would it have already been on their radar? A really good question. Look, you'd like to think uh, it would have already been on their radar. We know that we've seen a, a increase in, in right-wing extremism. Uh, just recently, I think it was in March this year, the Australian Institute of Criminology uh, released a, a report that related to violent extremism and radicalisation on the internet. And what they say is that around 60% of violent extremist offenders are radicalised primarily online or have significant influence to the steps that they're about to take. You'd ideally, look, traditionally, if we talk Islamic extremism or right-wing, uh, law enforcement and intelligence agencies are right across those. What's making it probably more difficult when you have these smaller ideologies like the ones that we are talking about here for the trains is they can operate in smaller groups, which makes it very difficult then to pick up communications uh, and things like that. But absolutely what the Australian public should take away from it is the intelligence organisations together with the law enforcement organisations, will be going over all of the material. They'll be looking to see if they've missed stuff. They will then develop a blueprint, if you will, about how to look at uh, this type of ideology going forward. And equally, they'll take any lessons from that blueprint and apply it back over current investigative or intelligence frameworks that they already have.
And in terms of lessons for all the rest of us, if you have a family member or a loved one who you think maybe has started to disappear down a rabbit hole that, mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily feel that comfortable about, what would you should you do in that situation? And that's a really tough question, isn't it? You know, in, in some instances, you're thinking on the right side that, well, uh, should I put them forward? Should I tip them off? The main thing I think, the, the best advice I can give is first and foremost, if for the parents that have children that are online, and let's face it, in the world we live in, that is everyone. What we've got to do is be conscious and be across what they're doing. We've seen there's plenty of evidence that has been around for a number of years that various ideologies or various extremist groups penetrate the internet. They target those that are on the internet uh, for whether they have social issues or, or mental health issues. They exploit that to bring them on board. So if you're of the view that first and foremost you'll see a change in behaviour, now just because you see a change in behaviour, so it might be withdrawing from playing with their friends, generally example, doesn't mean that the child's going to be susceptible to a terrorist organisation. I think we've got to take a balanced approach and go, well, are there other factors that affect them within their life? But certainly if the concerns are mounting, it's going to be a very difficult decision people are going to make. Is that do I go to the authorities, for example, and how is that going to play out? Reach out to a number of support agencies. There's plenty of welfare and counselling agencies around the country that might be able to help and give advice. But if you're in doubt, contact the hotlines, contact the police and have an informed conversation with them um, because you'd rather be doing that than, than unfortunately experiencing an episode like we saw in Queensland just a year ago today. Yeah, absolutely. It's the sort of thing that, thankfully, we don't see too much in Australia. And uh, yeah. hopefully we keep it that way. Uh, former terrorist investigator Peter Moroni, thanks for joining us and sharing your insights on The West Live today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. School is out for Year 12 students and the siren is about to sound for the rest of the kids still going to class in WA this year. And that means report cards will start coming home from school, but it's not as easy as checking if your kid got an A, B or C. These days, you almost need a degree to decode a report card. Or you could listen to my next guest, Senior Lecturer in Educational Leadership at the Australian Catholic University, Dr Paul Kidson. Dr Kidson, welcome to The West Live. Great, thanks for having me along. And uh, you're quite right, this is the time of the year where a lot of head scratching happens. (laughs) And so how have report cards changed over the years? Because I don't remember them being this complicated when I was a kid. Look, I started my teaching career in 1991 and one of the fears, this was even before a whole lot of the digital technology, one of the fears was that this single page that you you all had to write on and then hand it on to the next teacher. And if you made a mistake and you were the last person there, you had to go back and get all the other teachers to re-sign it, and it was just dreadful, right? And you're right. There was some simple stuff then. Uh, you know, Ben's as well could work a little bit harder, needs to focus on these things, A or, you know, 67 or whatever. Now, it's really, really complex for a range of reasons that are not easy to shift, if I've got to be honest. Yeah. And so what are some of the, the things that have changed? So in the 2013 Australian Education Act and the regulations that flow from that, there was a massive decision taken that said two sets of reports each year. So that's, that's you know, these are not things that schools can 
put aside. These are enshrined in legislation and regulation. It needs to be reported against a five-point scale. Now, the easiest one of those is, is typically A to E. But what does that actually mean? If, if I get a B at my school um, and if the child at the next school gets a B, are those Bs equivalent? And so there needs to be some mapping to what we now have as an Australian curriculum. Um, but there is often the, the requirement to be so specific about what aspects of that curriculum has been reported upon that you may as well just jolly well read the whole curriculum. Um, and so that's where you get a lot of density of information that's not necessarily making a great deal of clear sense. Yeah, like my mum is a teacher, so I often find myself when the report card comes home for my daughter, just giving her a call and saying, oh, Mum, like, what, what do you what do you reckon this actually means? And and there's two elements to that. One is, I guess, the the comments that the teacher uh, leaves around a particular subject, which has kind of always been the case. You know, like, what is what is the teacher really saying here? Like, you've got to read between the lines to find out if your kid is is doing well or is a bit of a terror in class. But then it's what you're talking about, like this this information density and individual subjects are broken down into sort of subcategories, and then there are columns. Often, which is like you know, uh, you know, does it occasionally? Does it often? Does it satisfactorily? Uh, above average? These various types of terms that maybe to parents don't mean a heck of a lot. So, what should parents be looking for when it comes to seeing their report card and, and trying to work out whether the kid is doing well or not? Well, that, look, that's a fabulous question, and there's an array of things there. Let me just pick up a couple of the, the pieces of language that you used then. Even when you get to something like occasionally, you know, and that measure is, you know, how often it's done. Well, is that five times? Is that ten times? You know, they're, they're really um, bland descriptors. And so one of the things that really parents could be looking for is what's the change of the growth between the two reports? You know, typically throughout a year, uh, you expect to see that there's been some growth, some change, some improvement there. And being able to, as it were, check the same things against what was there previously, that's not a bad place to start. The other thing is that there's a tendency in some jurisdictions and in some schools to have watered down the directness even of the comments. So the comments don't even have a personal sense to them. Uh, it could be any number of kids that are of this type rather than your particular child. And that's really what we hear when we talk to parents and caregivers. They really do want to know, is my, my son, is my daughter, is my child really focusing on, on their work? Uh, do they need to improve in which particular areas? Another area that is important to look at is what are some of those social and emotional components to it? And so where are we seeing students grow, how their interactions with one another, how their behaviours? And again, some schools and jurisdictions have walked back from that. And the frustration is that parents, like you've described, get that material and they go to the end of it and go, I'm not quite sure how my child's actually going. What's the best solution if it's still that at the end? Make an appointment to meet with the teacher. Go and have the conversation. Be part of that face-to-face. -face. And again, that's part of the requirement that when the reports are given, there should be an opportunity to have them discussed. Take those opportunities every time they appear. And as part of the thinking behind watering down the language, that, that parents are becoming a little bit more challenging to deal with, perhaps? Oh, look, there's certainly evidence to that in some regards. 
uh, there's a kind of tightening of the language so that you can't be accused of misrepresenting something or being, you know, not fully uh, detailed in the information. That's why some often so many of those dot points are there because it says this is what we did, this is how they performed, this is what your child learned. Um, and those things can be reactive to that type of behaviour, but I'd have to say that's less significant. It has been a, a, a real move towards... If you excuse me, if you like this this accountability and transparency language that has been there for uh, the last 10, 15 years. So we don't want to over romanticise the old style of reports because there's some real benefit in more information. It's finding that good balance in ways that parents can appreciate, understand, and importantly have a good sense of what the growth of their child has been through the last reporting period, which is typically two terms. Yep, so there you go. Pretty good advice, I reckon, when the report card comes home from school. Hopefully there are more A's than D's. Uh, Good luck to all the families there in Western Australia. Senior Lecturer in Educational Leadership at the Australian Catholic University, Dr Paul Kidson. Thanks for joining us on The West Live. Thanks for having me along, and I wish everybody a refreshing Christmas and New Year summer break. Look after yourself. The Wild West. Back in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Have you got more Tay-Tay today? What? No, Tay-Tay. No, Tay-Tay no. free zone today. Um, well, I'm sure she'll be back next week. Yeah. Uh, but she always so, makes an appearance. So in America, you've got Starbucks, right? Yeah. Like, you know, sort of coffee giant yeah. who kind of dominates the market. The dome um, of America. The dome of America, <laughs> exactly. Uh, McDonald's have dreamed of cracking that segment, right? Um, but they have had no success whatsoever. Hang on, don't they have McCafe over there? Not, McCafe was started in Australia, actually. McCafe is not successful over there. Really? So I didn't know okay. this until today. So McCafe, very successful in Australia. It is uh, apparently the number one um, seller of coffee in Australia, uh, and it's the number two seller in the UK. So they've had huge success but around the world. But not working in but America. in America, it's not working at all. People just don't it's think Because people think McDonald's burgers. Yeah, that's they right. Don't they just McDonald's don't think coffee. of going for McDonald's for a coffee, even though they've got this great drive-through business, mm. and you'd think drive-through coffee, how could that not work in America? Yeah. It just doesn't work because Starbucks just dominates. So McDonald's thinks the answer is to launch an entirely new business. Okay, right? so not called McDonald's. Not called McDonald's. What are they going to call and it? Is, I, I thought it was an April Fool's joke. I've got to be honest <laughs> with you. So it's based on it's based on a character that appeared in their McDonald Land um, advertisements back in the day with Grimace and yeah. Hamburglar yeah. and Ronald McDonald. Honestly, I'd never even heard of this guy before. So he was called Cosmic. Oh, I don't Spelled remember Cosmic. C O S M C, Mc. Cosmic. So Cosmic. Uh, he was an alien that arrived in a silver spaceship and traded some alien artifacts for uh, some cheeseburgers, basically, okay, and then okay. off he went back to whatever planet Cosmic's he came from. Cosmic's kind of a cool name, yeah, though. Cosmic is a cool name, but it's, it is so retro. Mel, see, see, see if you can bring up this logo. So, see, look at that logo. Yeah, so, it I, looks I like something from the Jetsons or, you know, like that sort of that weird kind of throwback retro it looks futuristic. Like Muzz Buzz. <laughs> Muzz Buzz. And so, so, McDonald's are planning to open the first Cosmic joint in. Uh, Illinois uh, next week, okay. and they're planning to open ten like Chicago more. Chicago or where? Yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, yeah ten more in um, Texas next year. Okay, uh, and and even though there are no plans as of yet to to send it global, 
the McDonald's um, HQ has said, well, we wouldn't invent this whole new thing if we didn't think it was going to be a global thing. So eventually that's probably going to happen. So how does it work? Does it still have a drive-through? Or? Yeah, it's still going to have a drive-through. It's going to basically just sell hot and cold beverages uh, and and pastries and sweet things. And it's so got, essentially it's a McCafe under a different yeah, name. Yeah, that's right. And it's going to have like those, you know how Starbucks is famous for those like wacky kind of like pumpkin spice latte oh, yes. drinks? Yes. So it's going to have a similar kind of thing. So you're going to be able to get a churro frappe uh, and a s'mores Sounds cold good. brew. Okay. Yeah. So as well as as well as pastries. Right now. And and they're saying that so this is this is the world we live in now. So partly this idea has been inspired by TikTok, <laughs> because there's all of these TikTok videos of people customizing their drinks, like pimping ah. their Starbucks drinks when they get home. And so this Cosmics is going to enable people to customize their beverages with uh, you know with boba uh, bubbles like um, the bubble like tea the bubbles, bubble tea. Um, flavored syrups, all of these different types of toppings. It just feels like Macca's getting ideas from everywhere and then just chucking it all yeah, in their does, retro it character. Does, it does feel like, you know, sort of throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> but but in their in, in like an announcement, um, they've they've revealed some other details It'll about stick their like plans. The cheese from yeah. a burger to the wrapper. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> reference. Uh, but so they're planning to open 10,000 new McDonald's restaurants globally by 2027. 10,000 new ones. Um, oh, and a lot of those are going to be stop. in China. That's going to bring the number of Maccas around the world to 50,000, wow. 50,000 Maccas. Do you have Maccas often? Oh, I wouldn't say I have it often, but I would say I would probably have, would it, have it, say, twice a month. Oh, okay, that's see to me that's often, you think that's a lot. That's you, a lot. You don't ever you don't no, like a I cheeky cheese. I can't remember the last time. Sometimes if I'm in a rush or something, um, I will do the what happy Charles meal, Street drive through happy, happy meal, meal for, for the, the kids. kids. Yeah, yeah, and I'll just same. say, can I fly, Vance? Can I please have a couple of chips? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't. You don't like no, a Macca's cheeseburger. No, it doesn't cheeseburger? do it for me. No, do you know? No, uh, if I do have Macca's, it'll be the McChicken. I was oh, always yeah. McChicken, just what that about, mayo. But but nice. I get Macca's regret. Oh yeah, you yeah. know where you just like you're so excited about it. You've like you've gone through the drive-through. It's you paid. It's yeah. arrived, and you're like you you know you've got to drive, but you just want to open it, yeah. and then you take one bite and you're like yes and then by the time you get to bite four you're like why did I do this yeah. and then an hour later you're like oh <laughs> and so what's, yeah. your, what's your fast food of choice then um oh look I, I like pizza but pizza, you, yeah. yeah but that's it's not know, that fast no it's not fast no I try yeah I don't really I suppose I don't really get fast food oh my gosh yeah okay. I'm sorry this conversation's over <laughs> we'll be back on Monday from 7am stick to Tay Tay <laughs> then we can agree forget to subscribe to the West Live wherever you get your podcast Maddie's going to give us some uh, some health advice <laughs> yeah, on Monday yeah, some salad so, yeah <laughs> holy than now uh, we'll talk to you then <laughs> see you mate You've been listening to The West Live with Ben O'Shea. If the story behind the story matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver.